I'm Anthony Bachman from All Things Good and Nerdy, a geeky podcast part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other fantastic geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. Welcome to episode 181 of Better Podcasting. On this show, we type out our entire show. In this week's Better Podcasting download, we talk statistics certification. And finally, in this week's Better Podback, we take a look into our past episodes. Plus, there's a fun discussion about bad podcast advice. Lauren, start the show now. Welcome to Better Podcasting, a show where we talk about podcast tips, tools, and best practices to help you succeed with your podcast. What makes us different? Well, just like you, we podcast purely out of the love and fun of it. Podcasting is our hobby, and we recognize that it's yours too. We always encourage your questions and feedback, and you can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. Here's your host for the show, Stephen John Drew and Stargate Pioneer. Welcome to episode 181 of Better Podcasting. I am Stephen John Drew, and I am pleased to say that my orange shirt co-host, Stargate Pioneer, is here. Yes, we definitely color matched in our minds because neither of us talked to each other about wearing orange tonight. And I feel like we should just maybe take off our shirts now so we don't match. So for you audio listeners, you have yet another reason to keep listening to the audio show. Uh, no, Jack, you have the video. Yes, if you're not familiar with this, we do indeed have a full video companion available at betterpodcasting.com. Before we get to our feature segment today, we always like to kick things off at the beginning of the show with what we call a How I Save My Podcast Story. Usually we like to have that right here, but we're not going to do that today. But we are going to encourage you to send one in to us because we like to share with the class what exactly has gone wrong with your podcast. How did you fix it? What did you do? Send that to us through audio or video, preferably. If you want, you can go ahead and send us an email as well. The idea behind this is we like to share with everybody so that they can learn from your mistakes and we can all learn together if we don't learn together who are we going to learn from i don't know i mean i learned from other people so yeah let's learn from each other and if you've made a mistake with your podcast and saved it we want to hear how you saved your podcast There's something that regularly comes up in the world of podcasting and then something that creates a variety of discussion whenever it comes up. Matter of fact, it's one of the hot button items that I've noticed in the last couple of years. In fact, both Stephen and I have had discussions with ourselves and each other about this topic several times offline. But today we're going to take those discussions public that we've had in private and it's all because of a recent change with Google that was announced that brought it to light again. Yes, it's time to talk about the wonderful world of podcast transcriptions. So in March, it came out that Google was transcribing podcasts for their own search engine purposes. And this is a couple of months ago now because we're in May 2019. So we thought it was a good opportunity to talk about podcast transcriptions. Today, 
We're going to talk about what they are, the reasons people use them, the cons of using them, and give our overall thoughts on their practicality for a hobby podcaster. So before we get started, what exactly are podcast transcriptions? Because it's okay if you don't know what they are. In short, it's a word-for-word copy of your podcast in a text format. Someone or something is transcribing your podcast. And there's two ways that you could obtain podcast transcriptions. The first is a manual transcription. The pros of a manual transcription is that they're highly accurate. This is because it's actual people doing this. They have the ability to pick up on your accent or your pronunciation of a word or your dialect, whatever it is, and actually figure out what you're saying to make sure that it is correct. If needed, this individual who is manually transcribing your show can back it up a few times, check it out, and really make sure that that word is right. Now, the cons of a manual transcription is that they tend to be fairly pricey because you're normally hiring somebody to do this. And if you're not hiring somebody to do this and you're manually doing it yourself, it's very time consuming to do yourself. SP, what's the other way that someone might get a transcription? Well, if you're not doing manually, the only other way that I know how to do it is get an automatic transcription. And an automatic transcription is some sort of software that's running and it analyzes your show and attempts to convert it to textual format. Some of the pros of this process is it can be relatively inexpensive, maybe perhaps even free, depending on where you go to get it. But because it's software doing it, it can be accomplished fairly quickly as well. So inexpensive and quick. So here are some cons of it, however. It can provide very inaccurate results, and this could potentially mean you accidentally are quoted as saying something that you just didn't say, or it could be something random like, welcome to episode Hungry Ate Wonton of Butter Pad Catting. What? Yeah, this actually happens from time to time, too, if you check transcripts. But services seem to come and go quite frequently in this area and almost like free media hosts. So you get a a few months that you can use these before they might go away. Now, it's worth noting that there is a bit of a hybrid of this in between manual and hybrid where people let software do the hard work. And then they come in later and manually change it to be more accurate. So that is how you can get a transcription. Stephen, how and why do people use transcriptions? So why would someone want to use a transcription? Well, we've got a few reasons here that we want to talk about. And number one is that potentially you could create a database for you to search. Even if the transcription is only partially accurate, it could be a tool and a resource that you can search later We've talked before about how it's a good idea to keep notes of the shows that you've done and the things that you've talked about on your shows, but these notes are really only as good as the detail that you're willing to put into them. A transcription, on the other hand, covers everything that you said in your show, and if used correctly, it can be a resource for you to search when you're thinking about ideas that you might want to cover in the future. Using this philosophy, you can potentially gain some more search exposure. While Google is making some progress in the area as it stands for the bulk of search engine results, search results are only as good as the text you place on your podcast and your website. If you admit something and it's just not being found, 
Even with Google's recent endeavors into transcribing podcasts for search results reasons, there's all sorts of questions that I have about it. Like, is it being used on the made website? Is it used on Apple Podcasts, etc.? Where is it being used? So if we look at Google Podcasts right now in May of 2019, people are complaining because often the podcast player embedded in the results is on the Apple Podcasts instead of their site. So the same concern and question should happen with this in the transcriptions. So if you place a transcription on your site, you know that you've at least listed it on your site, everything that you've talked about, or maybe it's butter pad catting. <laughs> I'm never, never going to get used to that there. Another reason somebody might use a transcript is that you potentially open your podcast to the hearing impaired. There's been a lot of recent discussion about the podcast space and the concept that the hearing impaired cannot utilize podcasts. As an audio medium, this logic tends to check out. Transcriptions give the hearing impaired a method to see the content within your show. This is something that without having a transcript, they can't generally hear it. So it's an alternative. Now, what are some cons that you might have from using transcripts? Well, let's start off with the idea that you might actually drive people away from your podcast. Just like people who are writing a blog post with every single episode that they do, you know, a blog post that covers every little detail within their episode, a transcription is giving away the cow, so to speak. It's giving away the content within your podcast. The problem is a transcript as well as, a, you know, an overly detailed blog is that they're potentially giving people a reason not to listen to your show. They might scan your post, get what they need out of it, and then just go and unsubscribe to your show altogether because they'd rather just read it. Fun fact, Stargate Pioneer and I both have actually done this with some shows in over the recent months where the show was putting out a fairly detailed blog post with every single episode that essentially covered all of the meat within the show. And it wasn't a show uh, in both situations. They weren't shows that we were interested in listening to actively. So it was always kind of the bottom of the playlist. Well, now, rather than leave it on the bottom of the playlist, just unsubscribe and once a month scan the notes and get what we need out of it. Like, I, I think we've compared stories and they're both very similar stories. There are also potential negative impacts via SEO or search engine optimization. And we discussed about how it could potentially get you the transcripts, could get you some more people hopping over to your website. But the reality is that just this wall of text without context could just cause search engines more confusion. Now, think about all the things that you say each week. How is the search engine going to prioritize this? For example, we say in this week's better podcasting download every single week. Is Google going to see this repetition and make that more about what we are about as a show? And if it's vague enough, it could be even perceived as spam. So it could be actually be negative to your SEO. So now that we've talked about some of the reasons for doing transcriptions and some of the cons, what exactly do we think about doing the transcriptions? Well, let's revisit what we said about each of the reasons for doing transcriptions, and we can talk a little bit further about some of the logic behind the potential pros. And let's start off with that database to search. If you think about how long your show really is, 
Think about how quickly that database is going to fill up. This is something that if you think of every single word that you say in every single show, that translates to a piece of information within that database. So when you are searching the database for something in specific, and you're going through all of these little non-content related things in that database, how accurate is that going to be or how easy is it going to be to wade through that data? Like how many times have you said SoundCloud on your show and you're trying to search for SoundCloud on your show and you're trying to find a specific episode that you referenced? That's a lot of data to search through. Okay, well, maybe it's only us that talk about SoundCloud a lot. But the idea is that essentially you've got to wade through all of this repetitive information in hopes that you can somehow locate that one thing that you're searching for. It's not an easy task. And you also have to consider where all that data is that you're going to have, because it's going to be a big block of data. It's going to take, it's going to eventually take up a lot of space, especially if you do an hour, hour and a half show every week. So another thing that we're going to talk about is search engine results. Now we covered the other side of the cons basically. However, we also think it is of note that it's, if it's not done right, it could just be practically a deterrent for your readers. For example, if somebody comes over to your site and they see this wall of text, are they going to keep going to your other content? I mean, if I have to scroll through an entire transcription to get to your next episode, it just ain't happening, especially if you have a long episode. And there are ways that you get to get around that. But if you're just seeing that wall of transcription text, it's like almost unreadable. And I just don't want to see it. So it could be a deterrent as well. And then in the hearing impaired bucket, before we really get into this one, we want to preface this by saying that, yes, we do agree that it does offer an alternative for somebody who cannot listen to your show. I mean, it's pretty clear cut without a text version of some form of your show content, the show content cannot be listened to by somebody that's hearing impaired. But there are two significant considerations with this. The first are people who are reading your show actually wanting to read an exact transcription I mean, blogs and articles are written entirely different than a conversation. Would somebody wanting to read about the, your content in your show rather than to read it in a conversation or would they rather read it in the manner that it's meant to be read? Now, we can't say for sure as there's probably some people out there who do like to read it because it's offering them something that they can't have otherwise, the actual conversation. However, overall, Reading a conversation is pretty slow. Even narrative books are written differently than script. Overall, we think that there are people who definitely see value in having transcripts for their show. But for us, we just don't see it, the value as a whole. This is because really, if you think of the either way that you can end up achieving the transcriptions, generally there's a better alternative. Like if you're manually doing them, that time would be better spent elsewhere developing your podcast. Or if you're paying a lot of money for transcripts, that money might be better spent elsewhere. One of the reasons, though, that we didn't mention why people do podcast transcriptions, but we think is worth mentioning is something that probably is a pretty big driver for people who do them. It's personal satisfaction. Now, don't get us wrong. We're not saying you do a transcription, you'll be satisfied. But what we are saying is that a lot of people who do podcast transcriptions probably get a certain personal satisfaction out of knowing that they're done. 
it's something that, you know, it's just another thing that's scratching that itch of podcasting for them in specific. It's also worth considering, are you a podcaster or a blogger? If you're mostly focusing on the growth of your podcast itself, then it might be better spending that time and that effort focusing on something that can help your audio podcast rather than trying to spend time bringing people over to your website or your blog if that's just something that you really don't care about. So think about that. Where would you rather be spending your time on your podcast or with the text associated with your podcast? However, if you're looking to grow your website or grow the written side of your content, there might be a benefit of doing transcriptions if done correctly. And this is always a consideration and you have to weigh the pros and the cons. Now, with Google recently saying that they'll be transcribing podcasts for search reasons, depending on how this whole thing works out, it might sway your decision, especially if you're largely doing transcription for potential search reasons. It's just going to be interesting to see where this takes off because it might not even be necessary for you to do it anymore if it's just for search reasons because Google's automatically doing it. So no matter what your decision, it's important to remember that Google's transcriptions are in all likelihood at this time for search term reasons and not for your use benefits. It's a different sort of kind of transcription, and it's one that you just have to keep in mind as you continue to produce your content as you usually do. I have a question for our our listeners, Stephen, especially since we're largely a podcast to hobby podcasters. I'm wondering if they actually transcribe their podcast. I'm wondering how they do it, and more importantly, what value they have received from it. And I'm specifically talking to hobby podcasters. If you're not a hobby podcaster and you want to respond, I'd like to hear your aspect of the coins too. You know, if you want to do it or if you want to, you don't want to do it. And you can always contact us at all the ways podcast at betterpodcasting.com is our email address. On Twitter, we're at betterpod. And you can always join our Discord server and have a conversation with us over there on it and everybody else that's a better podcasting listener that's in there. And you can find that at betterpodcasting.com slash Discord. Welcome to this week's Better Podcasting Download. This week, there were three companies that joined the status of being IAP, IAB compliant certified. Yes, we've talked about it in the past. If you're not familiar with this, IAB is essentially the standard that podcast companies have decided is the metric standard to make sure that we have a uniform metrics across the board. The idea is that you follow this guideline and then that will help make sure everything is uniform. Well, Contrary to a lot of people saying that they are IAB compliant, there are only limited companies which have actually been certified as compliant by the IAB. It started off as Blueberry as well as NPR, and this week we saw three different companies join these ranks, and the companies are Art19, VoxNest, which is not Spreaker, but the parent of Spreaker, and this one out of left field, Wooshka, which is an Australian free hosting provider. So we want to talk a little bit about this and what this means for the hobbyist. Well, first, uh, more 
podcast media hosts are getting certified and it's a good thing. And it would be very concerning if they started certification and then just stalled out. Right. So that evokes all sorts of questions like, is the standard actually alive? Is it too restrictive? Are there problems with other providers actually getting the standard going on? But if we look at what we have so far, there's an overall common thread the professional podcasting model. Now, while Wooshka might seem like it's out of left field, they kind of aren't for what we understand uh, from their about us. I will quote, helping creators and brands produce, host, share, track, and monetize content. Monetize with an S, not a Z. So you know they're Australian or at least not American. So Wooshka can be considered kind of more of a a professional podcast host because of that statement. Vox Nest. And this one is interesting. As Stephen pointed out, they're a parent company to Spreaker. Please note that Spreaker is not IAB certified. And I don't know if Vox Nest being certified means that Spreaker is certified as well. That's something that we're going to have to answer in the coming days. The title page on Vox Nest says that they are a professional podcasting solutions and VoxNest provides podcast publishers and advertisers with a complete set of podcast management, monetization, and analytics tracking tools. So definitely the more professional brand out of the Spreaker family. Art19, in their Welcome to the Business of Podcasting title page, says... Podcasting is exploding, but monetization with a Z remains a challenge. And then there is NPR, which of course is professional. I think everybody would agree that's that's professional because they have teams of podcast or teams podcasting, not teams of podcasters, but teams that are producing podcasts. So really, Stephen, there's an odd man out here. Yeah, and if you think about it, when you look at all these people that are certified. It's Blueberry that's the odd person out. The rest of these here all are highly advertising a monetization solution or a, quote, business professional uh, solution or something like that. There's a clear direction with so many of these other certified companies at this time. It's interesting to look at Blueberry here as almost the odd person out. It's all speculation on why certain companies are being certified first. Is it technical? Is it the reason behind it? But when I look at this as an overall thing, it seems to me that the majority of the companies that they're certifying is companies that are specifically making a monetization aspect part of their plan. And I think that's really apparent with Wooshka. And Wooshka's kind of made that a big deal from the beginning of their launch. Is this the reason? Is this the driving force? I don't know. Your speculation is as good as mine, but it's really interesting to analyze the different companies that have been certified by the IAB and then see Blueberry almost as the odd person out. Now, when you think about Blueberry, Blueberry has also for a long time, though, made it a big deal that they do try to do certain advertising packages and they've always been pretty clear cut about that. It's never been something that's sort of been you know, an extra tier to their business structure or, and, and whatnot. But it's really interesting to, to look at these companies that are being certified. And we know that there are more that are in the certification process. And I think it's just a matter of time before it comes out. Also, I don't know what kind of teams that the IAB has to go out for the certification audits. 
And do, do they actually have multiple teams or is this just one team that's going out and doing the audit certification with each company? That could be a factor as well. Uh, and it could be that some people were cl more closely aligned with what they had to do than other people. Uh, you could look at size. Some people it might be bigger than others in terms of how many shows that they host. And it, it might be a little slower. And I didn't even know if that's criteria in the production of the statistics. So I, who knows? And it's just would be interesting to watch who gets certified when and when the next round is. Remember, these certification standards, the IAB Podcast Measurement Guidelines 2.0 were published in December of 2017. The people that were part of the committee that put it together were editing the draft even before that. So they knew what was going to be in there. They might have not have known the final end result, but they knew in a sense what was going to be in there. So they started do uh, some of the podcast media hosts started doing it even before December of 2017 and to get to May of 2019. And you only have what, six or seven companies now that have been certified. You just know that this process isn't exactly the fastest process. And Stephen, I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think this proves that people are really delving into these statistics and trying to prove whether they're valid or not. I agree. Totally agree. And the last thing that I want to mention before we hop off of this here is I'm really excited that Wooshka got it from the perspective that it is a a uh, non-American company. And it's nice to, to see this early on so that you know that there isn't a regional boundary that's going to affect the certification process or anything. Not that anybody ever speculated that, but sometimes it's just the way things end up happening because of some of the previous things that we've mentioned with international laws and things like that. So I think it's a great opening to what we could see in the future. So I, I'm really happy to see Wushka get certified. It's exciting to see overall because we know there's always some issue with uh, statistics and granted, this is just downloads that they're talking about. This is not like the you're looking at user data. It's not that right. So you can't tell if these people are male or female or what age group they are or anything like that. This is just strictly downloads. And I think that's valuable enough. And I think the industry needs to figure out that that's valuable enough. And I realize more specific data might help out advertisers target different people. But, you know, I, from a hobby podcaster standpoint, I just want numbers. All right, let's kick it off with some YouTube feedback that we got this week, which one of them comes from episode 169, which can be found at betterpodcasting.com slash 169. And in there, I must have made a comment about not using the Rodecaster Pro anymore because the question that we got from David C was, so if you're not using the Rodecaster Pro anymore, what are you using? Is there a link somewhere to your recommended gear? So first off, um, I, I want to say, you know, in case you've missed it before, we have mentioned this a couple of times that... The Rodecaster Pro was something that we did get for ourselves as a intended test. We wanted to know about it. That's why we seeked it out so that we could end up getting it in our possession and actually testing it out and being able to speak to that. So that was a decision that we made on our own. Then we went and we located it ourselves and, and bought it ourselves to use. 
and it was never to replace my L12. Now, with that said, could it potentially? Yes, it could potentially, but it would narrow the scope of what I could do. So it's just a little bit different of a feature set. So it wasn't like I was trying to replace the L12, which is why I'm not using it anymore. And especially with the added multi-track capability that they've got, there is some value in the Rodecaster Pro. So I don't want to say that I, I'm saying don't get the Rodecaster Pro. I'm not saying get the Rodecaster Pro either because I do have some concerns over it, but I want to make it very, very clear. I haven't pulled it out of my array because it let me down and, you know, I have to go with something else. I just want to make sure people are very clear. It was never to replace what I currently use. One of the drawbacks with the Rodecaster Pro that I would see is you cannot do a, a mix. You can do one mix minus, I guess, through the USB and you'd have to do some unique cable runs to do other mix minuses. So if you're truly trying to do like what we do is video and the way that we're able to get multiple audio tracks through the video is through multiple mix minuses. The Rodecaster Pro is not going to do that. Now, if you don't care about a mix minus to multiple different people, like what we do on the Guinea Geek show and what we would do here on Better Podcasting if we had more than two of us is we would get everybody on their single track. It just makes editing easier for us. We both experienced it and it's just the way to go. So that's why the L12 would win out in our scenario and you might have different criteria. I'll, I'll just throw that out there. Somebody else might have different criteria and the Rodecaster Pro might fit their overall scheme a little bit better. Still have other concerns with it as well. And we're watching as future firmware updates come in to see if they address those. As for the question about recommended gear, yeah, it's a Audio-Technica ATR2100, an Audio-Technica AT2005, or a Samson Q2U. Those are our primary, this is what you need to start with. Uh, beyond that, we're happy to discuss a little bit more, but we don't have a recommended page or anything like that because we are big believers that if you're going a step up from basic, you need to do what's right for your specific situation. We have all sorts of gear we can recommend, but we don't like to blanket recommend gear because otherwise that's how you end up with gas gear acquisition syndrome. You're just buying based off of somebody else's maybe scenario that may or may not work for you. Yeah, or gear that you just will never use. So we also got a another YouTube comment and it was on my video that I made about recovering data from the Zoom H6. And this was when I pulled the SD card out before it had a chance to actually uh, save the file. So this comment comes from Thibod and he says, I see you put hearts to commentaries, so I'll just take a chance. I have a new Zoom H5 and I erased a file by mistake. Is it possible to recover it back? If yes, how? Thanks a lot. So slightly different this way to recover a file than what I went through to recover the file that didn't complete saving. And this can be because you pull the card out too early or maybe the the actual Zoom unit shuts down before the files had a chance to save or whatever. So that's one thing that I put the video out to do. This completely different. So I did comment back and I linked a CNET article that I basically used to recover my data, there are all sorts of actual articles out there and tools to use. Now, the specific tool that I use, it's called Recuva. 
R-E-C-U-V-A, and it's mentioned in that CNET article, and it worked for me. I mean, Steven, do you remember me talking to you about it? Because I was I was so mad. I know I was talking yeah. to you about it. Yeah, it was, uh, I think, that time that you took those wonderful pictures of me, and you wanted to make sure to get them back. I think that was what you lost in your card. Most of the articles out there, it's funny that you mentioned that, actually talk about photos or possibly videos. We're talking about audio files because we're audio podcasters and those work the same way. One of the big things is you don't want to keep using the card because you don't want to write over the file that you've deleted because the data is still there. It just hasn't been overwritten and you have to go and create an index to it and a file structure to get the data out. And those tools like Recuva, it's not the only one out there, are actually uh, good at doing what they do. And I will say that Recuva, I, you know, it's always sketchy. You know, you get something you're like, is is this malware or is this real good tool? In this case, the Recuva actually worked for me and was not malware. So I offered that as a suggestion. It might not work in all cases. It depends. Like I said, if you've overwritten the file, if the file is corrupt and not recoverable, so it might or might not work for you. So good luck. If you got a question like this, please let us know because these were both uh, really interesting questions to have come from YouTube, but we always encourage you to ask us through email, podcast at betterpodcasting.com or over on our Discord server. These are fun conversations to have. Speaking of our Discord server, let's run down some of the things we had going on this week over there because, again, some really interesting things, including this one, which was clearly comment of the week with Zachary Webb on may the 7th saying watching the video i miss beard sp oh beard sp please come back come back beard sp <laughs> well if you didn't if you weren't around last fall i usually start my beard growth in the october time frame and unfortunately that didn't happen this past year but after the holidays i was able to grow my beard it's because i had a skin issue you know, the melanoma, skin cancer, whatever you want to call it. And they recommended that I actually continue shaving so they could monitor the spots. And so I did, and I grew the beard eventually. And then when it came springtime and the allergies started coming off, the beard started itching because of the allergies, not because the beard was itching, because of the allergies, and I had to shave it off. So you won't see bearded SP until January again. I'm sorry, guys. I mean, I wish I could do it in October, but... I have to go through the whole rigmarole this fall again. I forgot to tell you, by the way, Stargate Pioneer, I thought of a new slogan for ourselves because we're always looking at a way to stand out in the crowd in a sea of podcasts about podcasting. And this is my vision for the slogan. Better podcasting. The only podcast about podcasting where twice a year you'll hear about beards. What do you think about that? I think that might be true, and I think other people might catch on to it and start doing the shtick as well. I don't know. All right. Moving on to the next piece of Discord comment feedback aru that we got was from the Liberty Dude, and the Liberty Dude said, I was thinking of picking up a portable video capture card. I was thinking of using it in my chain the same way I use a Zoom recorder for audio. Steven, in the quote, after show, end quote, you said you took yours out of your chain. Do you have another option for video backup or have you decided it just isn't needed to have a secondary recorded backup? You said something about XSplit. Does that service offer an offsite video recording ability outside of your computer? 
All right, so number one, this takes us way, way back to the year 1994 when we started Better Podcasting. And when we started Better Podcasting, I had a Hapage uh, PBR Rocket, which is essentially a HDMI capture device. So you plug a USB stick into it, and then you can have HDMI go into it, and it records it. And the reason I had this was, number one, resource re reasons. Number two, it provided a individual backup. So that if my computer crashed, I had a backup. I ended up pulling this out because more often than not, the actual baked in recording to the video software that I use, XSplit, recorded just fine. But once we went live, it was even less critical because going live to YouTube, there's always a way that I can pull that video back if I need. Yes, the quality will be a little bit less, but... I know that everything that goes out to YouTube, in theory, will be there when we're done, even if my computer crashes part way. And on a couple of times, I have actually had a situation come up and I've had to pull that video. And yes, the quality isn't exactly perfect, but it's good enough. So I was killing USB drives by constantly writing HD video to them every single week. And so I did end up just pulling it out of the equation. It was one less thing for me to have to worry about. I still have it here, but I just don't use it. The other thing as well is that within XSplit, when I'm sending the video out, there's a little check mark that I can enable so that as soon as I start sending out that video signal, it will also keep an archived version of that stream. Yes, potentially if the computer goes down, it's the same potential issue. But what I do know is that if I forget to hit record on the full quality version, the reduced quality version that I'm sending out to YouTube should be there automatically on my hard drive. So there's a couple different things that I can potentially pull from and have pulled from. So it just wasn't worth it to me. And the bottom line is we've always said it, audio is the number one priority. And in the worst case scenario, and we both have audio, it's an audio only week. And if you're just starting out, and I know the Liberty Dude has a definite end state that he wants to get to, but if you're just starting out, you don't have to do video, absolutely. You can just do audio. Video's just a, a nice aside to have when you're first starting. Matter of fact, I think it's nice to have with better podcasting. We could completely do this audio only. Josh Liston, he also posted in Discord, and he said, Who do podcasters think they're fooling when the preface a post in group with Quote, please delete if not allowed, unquote. Surely, if you think you even need to add that to your post, you already know you're breaking the rules and you're just hoping the admins will let it slide. Yeah, this is something that I see all the time. I, I actually see it in Reddit, but I know, Stephen, you see it a lot in Facebook and we've talked about it before and it's a pet peeve of ours is that if you're going to post that, like, I don't know if this is a lot. Well, first of all, read the rules. And second of all, contact the mods. Nothing is that important that you need to post it right away. And you can wait a few hours until a mod is available. Any good modded group is going to have a mod that's available. I would say within eight hours. I mean, maybe you go a couple of days, like when all the mods are on vacation or something like that. But usually it's at most eight hours, like somebody is asleep and they'll wake up eight hours later and you can ask, get the answer and then post and not break any rules. And more importantly, tender that goodwill throughout everywhere. Also, let's move on. Waffles said that people do that in 
every kind of group. Damien, the DM said, I feel like a part of it is too is quote. I know this is generally against the rules, but can't be arsed to double check unquote arsed arsed. <laughs> that was in, it was interesting nice. arsed. Yes. And I said, uh, we actually ranted about this in a previous episode, which we did. The next comment that we wanted to highlight this week was I kind of want to start a podcasting about podcasting. That's what it said. I kind of want to start a podcasting about podcasting, but give bad advice. But I know someone would take it seriously. And then we had a ton of comments just come flying in all because SP kicked it off with this one, which was use the blue Yeti host on SoundCloud and anchor go to many, many conferences about podcasting without ever publishing an episode because you are stacking them all for one mega 1000 episode launch. I'm down. Count me in. There was a bunch of stuff like Dora Bell Productions said, don't use any loudness normalization either. Just upload your raw files. Ew. Waffles said, using Audacity? Sorry, not good enough. You have to use something that costs at least 5,000 US dollars. Jonathan Bloom said, and you need to make sure to remove the GUIDs every few weeks and allow your list- listeners to listen to op- older episodes. For those that don't get that one, by the way, if you change the GUID, G-U-I-D, to your episodes, you will force a re-download to whatever podcast catcher is the listener is using. And it's really annoying if you've already listened to the episode. Okay, back to Jonathan Bloom. Maybe they forgot about it and definitely start your show with an audio ad. Nobody gets tired of those. And Waffle said... Only the same Casper ad, though. Repetition to make listeners remember. And as a note, Casper does not sponsor Better Podcasting. Sorry, I'm really trying to figure out how I'm going to segue into the Casper ad read that I've got to do here. No, <laughs> right, right. Uh, of course. <laughs> we also had the Liberty Dude say, All my past production experience came before the home digital studio gear. Back in the day, I've taped cassettes and Betamax. Even then, audio wasn't something I focused too much attention on. My co-host and I are all green newbies to today's technologies. We are in the, quote, producing test projects, end quote, to produce an outcome we haven't done before, thus causing us to figure out a way to get it done. Although we are planning to launch soon, being so green, we still will be terrible. And Zachary Webb came in and nailed the advice to that comment. Zach Webb said, better to be terrible at first than to not start at all. And as I was reading this comment again, that's what exactly what I was thinking. I forgot Zachary Webb piped up on it. This is absolutely true. If you don't get out there and do it, you'll never get better. It was one of the reasons that I started uh, Voices of Defiance. That was the first podcast that I produced. And I wanted to do it because I wanted to learn how to podcast. I learned a ton of stuff doing that show. And if I had not done that show, I wouldn't have been able to take over Legends of S.H.I.E.L.D. and do it better like I did. I wouldn't have been able to improve the quality of Starling Tribune. And I would not have been able to come on here in better podcasting and talk about all the ways that I have tried and all the history that I had. So it does build over time. It's not something that you can nail right out of the gate. You're always going to be learning and things are always going to be changing to make things better. The Liberty Dude actually points that out. He said, we didn't worry about audio back in the day. And 
Steven, I can absolutely see that. I mean, just capturing audio was a big thing back in the day, not getting the pristine audio that we expect today in home studios. I mean, just being able to capture audio was an issue. So now we do have the tools to make it better at a much lower cost than it was back in the 70s and 80s. I don't even know what I, I'm not going to insult Liberty Do by saying what year. I mean, it could have been the 90s. I don't know. It could have been the 2000s. I don't know. When did Betamax exist? It was early 80s, right? I don't know. I, I wasn't alive. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and finally, the last thing that we want to mention right now is from the Liberty Dude again. And it was a fun walk through memory lane. Usually people say walk down memory lane. And I, I might edit this out usually, but this time I won't because we just talked about being okay with not being good. So I'll leave that in. Plus, I can be lazy in editing. And Liberty Dude said, I loved episode 19 of Better Podcasting, a live Q&A show when you simulcasted on YouTube and Blab. SP asks, quote, do you know what RSS actually is? End quote. I got so excited to hear the question because I've been wondering it myself. Funny thing. After the question came a very uncomfortable kind of um silence. When put on the spot, no one seemed sure enough that they wanted to respond. That's not entirely true. We, can, we know it is rich site summary. A lot of people call it really simple syndication, but we know it's rich site summary. The point there, though, is do you really know what is in your RSS feed? And more importantly, do you need to know? Yeah, you kind of need to know the episode tags at the RSS level, and you kind of need to know what you can put in there. But in today's environment, I don't think you need to know the nuts and bolts of the RSS to actually code it yourself or hand roll it yourself is the nomenclature that I've heard. And you just don't need to go into that depth. You need to know that it's how your podcast is actually distributed and you need to know the fields that you need to fill out for your RSS maker, whatever that is. It could be your media host, could be a plugin on your WordPress site, could be a variety of things and you could code it yourself but you really just need to know the fields that go into it and i went back and watched that episode because it was a lot of fun and we did have friend of the show fellow gonna geek network member fellow gonna geek admin member chris mm. farrell and he was nice enough to come on and join us there and i think the idea behind this whole episode 19 q a thing was i didn't like blab I, I didn't really like it. Uh, Chris and SP nope. used it on the Silent Tribune and other shows, and they wanted to find a reason to get me to use it. So we used it as a Q&A thing, and we decided to publish it as a fun little episode. I will say with the RSS conversation, it was kind of fun to talk about. Um, and for me personally, I, I, I probably forgot the exact like definition of what it was, like the actual what it stood for. But, you know, as someone who has been self-hosting an RSS feed since the day is a hand rolling it, you can bloody well know that I know what an RSS does. Yeah, it's just the fact of life there. And as far as Blab goes, we've said it before, and I'll say it again, because we, we talked about if you've listened to the early episodes of Better Podcasting, you'll hear me talking a lot about Blab. Blab was good for me because it was my entry jog into video. And we just talked about the learning experience. That was a learning experience. Would I do it again? No, I would not. The WebRTC architecture that programs like Blab run on or ran on is just not conducive to podcasting or recording video because there's always going to be some artifacts in it. It's like the 
uh, audio drift of Zencasters, just the, the way what they use to make that happen. It's always going to be conducive to audio drift and until something changes, some protocol changes. The programs that are out there now that are like Blab will always experience that. So I Blab was good as an entry drug, but I've moved on. So let us know, did you have fond Blab memories? Are you somebody who knows what RSS is? Are you someone who just doesn't care what RSS is? Let us know any of these things or what's going on in your world of podcasting so we can talk about it in a future show. Please head on over to our Discord server at betterpodcasting.com slash discord or email us to podcast at betterpodcasting.com. Before we wrap up, we'd like to remind you that we are part of the Gunna Geek Network. The Gunna Geek Network has some amazing geeky content on it. Please check that out at gunnageeknetwork.com, including the Starling Tribune, where they just last night recorded live their episode, which covered the season finale of Arrow. If you like CW television shows, please check out the Starling Tribune, which features none other than my co-host, Stargate Pioneer. I almost forgot your name for a second there. As well as the person that I just mentioned, Chris Farrell, where they have the wonderful Michelle Ely joining them each week to talk about the latest in the world of Arrow. And when it's not on, they talk about other CW television shows, including Legends of Tomorrow. So for episode 181 of Better Podcasting, I'm Stephen John Drew saying Stargate Pioneer, please transcribe me. I must be saying you don't need a transcription if you're a hobby podcaster. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of Better Podcasting. We want to hear from you. You can find all of our contact information at betterpodcasting.com. If you like the show, please consider giving us a five-star review in iTunes. We encourage you to check out all of the other geeky podcasts available at gunnageeknetwork.com. This has been a Gunna Geek production. Thanks for listening, and we will see you again next week.